Welcome to our podcast, Forgotten Victims, The Forensic Interview. Forensic interviewing traditionally has been associated with child victims. Over the past decade, there's been an evolution in the field of forensic interviewing where it's being applied to vulnerable victims of all ages, forgotten victims victims with disabilities, mental health disorders, and older adult populations. On today's episode, we will be talking about how to talk to kids about sexual abuse. Yeah, and you know, talking to kids about sex in general is difficult. Talking to children about sex abuse can be even more complex and then, you know, of course we're going to be talking about so you know, does this apply to children, all children, children with disabilities? And of course, it's going to apply to all children, whether they have a disability or not. We, we, you know, if we need to, we'll talk about some adaptations, but pretty much doesn't matter whether your child has a disability or not. And, um, and we're going to be talking about this in the sense whether you're a parent yourself of a child with or without a disability, you're an MDT member, and you're needing to talk to a child in some way, or a parent's asking questions. So hopefully this will, will be useful in any of those contexts. And Stacy, I know uh, you have really good expertise in this area, and uh, so I'm going to actually just kick it to you. You know, how, how do we talk to kids about, about sexual abuse? So this is a question that comes up a lot uh, for me in my work, but then also like, I just feel like my friends call me when something comes up, they're like, Stacy, how do we talk to our kids? What, you know, what do we do? What should we say? Yeah. Not so much to, you know, if their engine is broken on their car, probably you're not the one. No, I don't get those phone calls quite as much, <laughs> yeah. but people do. They, you know, I don't reach get them out. either yeah. as I should. <laughs> yeah. we, the, we'll have to find another podcast to answer those Movie questions. quotes, maybe. People yeah, can come sure. to me for quotes. Sorry, so, go ahead. No, that's okay. So people, people do ask me this all the time. And I think that it's something that is a continuous continuous conversation that parents should feel comfortable having with their kids. But to your point, Scott, it's difficult. It can be uncomfortable for parents. So, you know, we can go over some, some basic things that I usually tell, you know, my colleagues and my friends. Um, and the, the first of that really is making sure that when you're talking to kids about their bodies, that they're, you're using the proper terms for their anatomy. We often find that when kids go to disclose, if they don't know what their body parts are called, that sometimes people don't know what they're talking about or right. don't think they're disclosing about a sex act because they're not using the proper terms for their anatomy. Yeah. And, and how many times have we had cases where, I mean, how, how, the list of names for a penis or vagina uh, I mean, are just endless the, that you hear kids giving like different names for those right. things. Right, pocketbook, cookie, <laughs> cupcake. We've, we've heard them Wand. all. Yeah. yeah, so all sorts of different things. Cookie, I, yeah, that, yeah. I had a parent tell me that they, they used like hot dog because they thought it was, you know, easier and be funnier, easier for the child to talk about. So that confusing, you know, sure. piece for kids. Kitty cat. Yeah. yeah, lots of different, lots of different terms. And I'm sure other MDT members have heard those <laughs> and more uh, as well. Yeah. And and it's not like we're, you know, we're trying to tell people to like, you know, what was it? Varsity Blues where, all right, let's all hold hands and say penis, 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 vagina, vagina, vagina. You know, it's, it's, it's not about that. Sometimes words that people don't use, we do this type of work. So these words are fine, but y using, you know, the, the proper terms. Um, or even it, universally accepted terms like sure. private part. Right. Say sure. something yeah, yeah, like point, that, that kids, when someone says what's happened to them, people are going to know what they're talking about. And it's not going to represent something different potentially that they're talking about when they're trying to disclose sex abuse to, to a grown up. So that's the, that's the first piece. So, and that one sometimes is a little bit, you know, difficult for people. But again, if you don't use the proper terms for the anatomy, finding something like private part that would be easily understood. Um, the next piece, and I know that this has come up a lot 
do um, is making sure that we're allowing kids at an early age to make decisions about their own bodies. So what does that look like? That looks like making sure that if, you know, a family member or relative is saying goodbye after some sort of family, you know, event that we're not making kids, you know, hug and kiss people that they're not comfortable doing uh, that with, even if they were comfortable last time. So if they're not comfortable this time, but they were last time, allowing them to make those decisions in the moment and sort of that early ability for them to trust their own gut, to yeah. go with what they're comfortable with. Right, and let them know it's okay. And if the relative gets upset, tough shit. Uh, exactly, yeah, and let the relative know, hey, we're going to let you know so-and-so make a decision about their body today. Exactly. And the more we can do that and empower kids to make those decisions, the more it would be weird for them if someone were to do something to their body that wasn't okay with them, and then they might feel that sort of red flag or need to report to a parent. So those are the those are the two sort of like first ones, general concepts that I think people can really talk about when starting this conversation with kids. And then um, the other thing that when we get a little bit more into talking about maybe touches that are okay and not okay, parents um, should really use words like, hey, no one should touch your private parts. A lot of times parents will say things like, don't ever let anybody. And when we put that let anybody language in there, if something were to happen, sometimes kids feel responsible, like it was their fault because they let it happen. So it sounds sort of simple, but that concrete language of, yeah, no one should really makes a difference because then it makes the, the child know that if that happens, it wasn't their fault. It was the other person doing something that they shouldn't be doing. Right. And I think, I think one of the things that's really important, if they do share that someone has made them feel uncomfortable, or if they do share that somebody did something, you know, what, what is, if you're not super trained in forensic interviewing, what, what would be some things that we would want to tell people? So if a, a child does disclose to you and you're not trained to do the work that, that Scott and I do along with our colleagues, then it, if a child discloses, it's okay to just say, hey, tell me more about whatever happened, because that's going to be like the most open-ended way to get a little bit more information about it so that you can make decisions about whether or not you need to be contacting authorities or taking the next steps in reporting what they have shared with you. So that tell me more about a uh, question is a good one. Parents often are very tempted to sort of say like who what where when you know it's a it's a maybe an emotional time something where they get of course understandably upset about what is being reported to them so really doing your best to sort of stay calm just listen try to get the full story so that you can do the appropriate next steps to help keep your kids safe yeah i know it's going to be hard but yeah try to avoid the do did do did does is was will you know those types of what we would call forced choice response or yes no questions kind of that broader uh, question's going to be better Because by nature, those questions sound sort of interrogative. So those are the things that we would ask kids when they're in trouble. So if they're telling us about something that's happened and we come at them with those sort of fast questions that give only a yes, no response, all of a sudden they're going to be like, oh, shoot, maybe I'm in trouble. And they might even stop talking to us. And they're generally less reliable. Yes, for sure. Um, You know, let's talk a little bit about, uh, this comes up a lot about this idea of secrets. Uh, You know, should an adult ever ask a child to keep a secret? So this is one that, that also goes back into some of those general guidelines. So letting kids know that it would be 
uh, something that they should tell you if an adult asks them to keep That's a right. secret or even in, you know, an older child or, you know, sibling, it doesn't always have to be another adult, um, that could be engaging in something inappropriate with a kiddo. So saying things like, Hey, no one should be asking you to keep a secret. That's and right. if they do, it's really important that you let me know. And back to your point, Scott, really modeling that I think is important too, to say, to kids like, you know, we don't keep secrets or it's important that we not keep secrets from each other. There's a difference between maybe like a surprise for a present or a birthday party and keeping a secret. So being right. thoughtful about that language, once again, with the words we use. Right. A surprise, people find out. With the secret, that nobody does. So that that's sort of the difference there. Um, great. Yeah, that comes up a lot. And, you know, of course, you and I talk to our kids about this stuff a lot and, and, and that issue... Uh, recently came up about talking about, you know, I was re-engaging my daughter about, so, you know, remember, no one's supposed to ask you to keep a secret and, you know, and so forth. So. And if they do, tell us, tell us right away. So that, you know, that should be a weird thing for a grown up to be asking. A kid and to and keep did a you secret. like how I was modeling? No one should. No one should. Don't ever let anybody. Yes, <laughs> exactly. No one should ask you to keep a secret. It's That's not it. okay for, for, you know, grownups and kids to keep secrets. If that happens, I really, I need to know about that. So, because we know that that secrecy is a huge part of, of sex abuse um, for, you know, for all kids, because of course it happens in secret. Yeah. Yeah, no, and and I think again, as as you're we're listening to this, and I'm thinking in my head, you know, any adapt adaptations for, you know, particularly children with disabilities, and again, it's going to be really nuanced based on the child. Certainly, uh, when we talk about autism, you, you want to be you know very concrete and literal. So if you're talking about private parts, you could say things like the part of your body, a bathing suit covers, things like that. Um, but it's going to be very nuanced. So uh, again, in general, some of the, the these guidelines. W uh, uh, apply to children with and without disabilities. Yeah, and I think that part of what we've come across in both training and practice is that people maybe don't feel comfortable having these conversations like we mentioned with kids at all, but that also includes kids with disabilities. Sometimes those conversations aren't happening, um, and that's why we want to give you some tools and tips on how to have those conversations with all kids because I think it will be important. The other thing that I sometimes hear parents say, and I've had um, in interviews kids share with me, is that their parent maybe said something like, oh, I would kill someone if they ever touched you, or I'd hurt them, you know, if they ever, if someone ever touched you uh, in a way that they shouldn't. And I have had kids tell me before that they chose not to tell because they were afraid their parent would get in trouble or go to prison or actually kill the person. And as we know, most parents might mean something instead like you know I would do anything to keep you safe or it's really important to me or I'd be very upset you know or something like that but we use this word I would kill that person and kids take that very literally yeah absolutely and I think exactly that language I would do everything I could to make sure you're safe it's my job to you know ensure that you are safe and those types of things right so I need to know what's going on with you so please share if anything like that happens the other thing that um, sometimes parents struggle with is I always encourage people to understand that your kid may choose to tell someone other than you. So you may not be the person they choose to tell. And that could just be because, you know, of who's around proximity, who they're comfortable with. So I always encourage parents to let kids know that it's okay with you if they choose to tell another trusted adult. And I think as parents, sometimes that's hard to hear because we would want our kids to come to us to keep them safe, to protect them. That's our job. So, you know, have that conversation openly with them though. Who would you talk to? 
If you were at school, who could you talk to? If you were at any of the places where they find themselves, who could you talk to? And let them know it's okay that they tell another trusted person as well because they may not choose to tell us or may not think to tell us, but hopefully that trusted person would turn around and tell us or do the right thing with that information. So I think that's another piece that uh, I often talk to to parents and, and friends and colleagues about. Okay, so now let's kind of talk in general. Uh, just a couple other things we'll add as we we sort of wrap up here. But um, there's some good writings on this, on sort of this idea of our perspective on sexual victimization of children. And, you know, in the, in the United States, we've gone through um, a couple different periods. And um, Kenneth Lanning out of the FBI has written a document called Child Molesters Behavioral Analysis. And he talks about moving... Uh, from sort of denial to understanding and sort of through these three different periods and he attaches a GR label to each. And I'll just go through this quickly. So like in the 1950s and 60s, you know, this idea of, you know, who was the the uh, sexual abuser of children or the child molester, you know, it was this idea of the dirty old man in the wrinkled uh, raincoat, you know, and the prevention was, uh, you know, stranger danger, say no, yell, tell. And he called these the grabbers, the GR, the grabbers. They would, you know, it makes for good TV, chong, chong. You know? Right. It's the stuff that we see in, in episodes of different, you know, crime shows and things like that. And it's, it's very uh, captivating for audiences. It, right. It, so it makes sense that people followed along with that. Yeah, it's actually really scary. So uh, Philip Garrido, who uh, kidnapped J.C. Lee Dugard in California uh, and kept her in the back of the house, had sex with her children. Uh, the the I was at a training uh, and they were showing some of the videos that they would videotape kids on playgrounds and uh this is, they lived about 20 minutes from where we lived and my kids played on the same playgrounds that they videotaped. Now they were not in any of the videos. The timing was different, but that's scary as shit. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. You that, see there's that, nothing like, more than oh, seeing that and having it be really in your face, right. a, a true reality for you. Absolutely. So totally scary, totally headline uh, grabbing attention, but we know that that's not the, your kids are least likely to be sexually abused by a stranger. So moving to 70, 80s, we moved into this, you know, intrafamilial, uh, idea, this idea that it can be fathers, stepfathers, grandfathers, uncles, brothers, female family members. And uh, the prevention here is sort of like good touch, bad touch. And, you know, I'll just kick it to you because I know you can you can t- say what's wrong with good touch, bad touch or kick it back if you like, Scott, keep going. Well, like, well, we can both, I think, speak to this because the complexity around that is, you know, sometimes those bad touches feel good or kids feel like they were bad if those bad touches happen. So the good, bad language, even though it was well intended, got more confusing for kids than I thought we originally anticipated. Right. So what do we use instead? So we would say what kind of touches might be okay or not okay, using things like appropriate, inappropriate as kids get older and understand Red that language. Red flag touches, green flag touches, things Comfortable, like that. uncomfortable, things right. like that, yes. Yep, and and he would call these, Landing would call these the granters. Uh, the GR was the grant. So we have the grabbers and the granters. Granters are, you know, giving extra privileges and things like that. And then really moving to today, we know that, you know, kids can be sexually abused by certainly by strangers, the lowest frequency, acquaintances, uh, family members, and then of course this this last period, acquaintances. And this really can be anybody. Uh, this could be teachers, coaches, clergy, police, nurses, uh, boyfriends, girlfriends, just about anybody. Prevention here is you know kind of complex. Uh, there's this idea. Um, well, so Lanning calls these the the GR the groomers, right? So this idea of grooming. Of the individuals and and you know what it makes me think of is is the sexual uh, abuse dynamics that there's the, that type of grooming like you know you you 
tell show somebody tell somebody a dirty joke and then how they respond to that and then you know maybe show a dirty picture or a dirty movie and, and this then, is where we would start hearing that people talk about secrets right so this is where some of the secrecy come comes in, in. Right. yeah the grooming and some of the reasons why these conversations we've talked about are so important super important so yeah like are like a little tickling and then massaging massaging with the clothes on and then shirt on and then so forth that goes on this is a totally different type of grooming as well an additional type where we're we're grooming somebody where we're saying things that like make them feel special, make them feel wanted, attention giving. And one of the, I'll give you a quick, quick case example. And I share this a lot in trainings. It's a, one of the few times that I almost choked up during an interview to 15 year old girl, cerebral palsy, um, great family, but you know, really never talked about sex. Uh, it, and it, you know, this is, I'm not indicting the parents on this, but they were pretty strict. And you know, what 15 year olds see is their friends going to prom and dances and other things. And, and she wasn't allowed to go on the internet. She was sneaking on the internet and has no idea. It's a bad idea to sneak out of her home and go and meet this guy who she's been chatting with, who's passing through town, this 40 year old guy. She meets him in a hotel room and of course he rapes her. And I remember during, during the interview with her when she was disclosing and, and she uh, could speak, you know, with some trouble, uh, but you know, she, her speech was impaired a little bit, but I remember her saying that uh, he was the only per he was the first person who told me I was pretty. And I was thinking, motherfucker, this time, this, this girl, the first time she hears that she's pretty is from this asshole who's looking to rape kids. So that's, that's really powerful when we have like, you know, in some levels I feel helpless. Like I don't, we don't have a chance against somebody like that. Right. Who's, yeah. who's, you know, wanting to spend time with somebody and doing that. So those are the things we need to pay attention to as well. And exploiting those things through development where kids are just so vulnerable. So is it that she needed acceptance? Is it she needed, you know, for someone to make her feel as though she was pretty? Is it, you know, the sort of normalcy that you talked about with wanting to be able to go to like dances and do those things right. and, you know, and found a way to do that because that's what teenagers do, um, you know, no matter what. So I think that that all those lessons are, are really important and having the conversation conversations and even like internet safety is a whole nother, you know, whole nother layer of oh, this yeah. issue as well that came right. up in that story, Scott. So yeah, there's lots of things that, that go into these dynamics, these, you know, the grooming and the, the thought that we all sort of need to be on the same page where it could be anybody. So we need to sort of make sure we're in the present times with understanding sort of what's going on and, and what people have access to. Yeah, definitely. And so two, two things I want to kind of point out one quick thing, and then maybe we'll talk about some resources. So generally, so in child welfare, uh, we're very concerned when we have like two-year-olds and younger in a home with unrelated people. Uh, and part of the reason is because two-year-olds are one, they typically can't tell you what happened and they're hard to care for. Mm -hmm. uh, so what we would also say, so our sort of antennae go up. I would also say that if there's uh, children with disabilities that have high support needs um, that, that are older than the age of two or have high support needs and don't maybe don't speak, then our hackles may go up too when we have unrelated people in the home being caregivers and or um, you know suspicious injuries and so forth. Just to be clear, most people caring for children with disabilities are not abusing them, but as our sort of, as again, our antennae go up when we have a uh, suspicious injury of an under two-year-old in a home who's, who's being cared for by an unrelated person, you know, those are things that we wanna pay attention to. So resources. What, what's a good resource that you think like a general resource for 
maybe a parent who wants to talk with their kid about uh, sexual abuse, but doesn't know where to start. I know you have a good one. Yeah, so there, there are several out there. Uh, one of my favorites is, uh, it's called Rex Finds His Roar, and it's about a lion. A and yeah, ROAR is an acronym, um, and I know that when I recommend it to people, they easily find it on any place where they can buy books. So um, that's uh, that's one that I think that parents should know about and I should have read it. to their kids. Yeah, it's a, it's a great one. I love that ROAR is an acronym. It's easy for kids to follow and remember, and they sort of can identify with Rex, this, this lion who's trying to find his roar and speak up, so... Um, and so that, that might be one for parents. What other um, resources do you know of, Scott? I know that there's some, some publications that you've put out there. You know, Where can people access those and, and what else oh, do yeah. you think they should on know our, about? On our website. I don't even, I just go to our website. I think we have a publications or resources. Yep, a whole resources tab on our website. Resources great tab. Spot. Yep. And there's stuff for parents uh, talking to the kids with disabilities about um, uh, sexual, sexual abuse and uh it's in English and Spanish. And then we have one for, I think, child protective service workers, one for foster parents and so forth. So uh, check it out. Yeah, lots of, lots of great resources on our website for sure. Well, hope this podcast was useful for you. And uh, anything else, Stace? No, I think that's it. I think that uh, people hopefully have a few more tools to have some conversations with the kids in their lives. And uh, I, I hope that you are able to have those conversations if it's something you weren't able to do before. And thanks for listening. To learn more about the work being done by Modell Consulting Group, visit our website, modellconsultinggroup.com, or follow us on social media.